0: Good afternoon. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 to 10. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. Then the angel spoke to the women, Don't be afraid, he said. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said would happen. Come, see where his body is laying, was laying. And now, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Brothers and sisters, I want to I wanna take just a moment before we jump into this word to, to pray with you. Uh, once again, I want to welcome you. It's great to have you here. If you're visiting with us, all the more. Is it, is it, is it just—it's—it's it's really exciting for us to—to to see you here um, on this Easter Sunday. I want to just take a moment to pray to our risen God together, and I want us to—to to bring to Him some of the things that are perhaps weighing on our hearts, weighing on our shoulders as we come in here. Today, although today is a festive day, maybe this wasn't such a festive week for all of us. Maybe some of us are dealing with some real pressures and some real sadness and some real loss and some real confusion. And so I think that because we're coming to a risen Lord, we know that we can bring all of those concerns to him. So let's do that. Lord Jesus, we come to you as your people, but we confess that like those women who saw you on the day that you rose from the dead... Um, Sometimes we're a complex mixture of emotions. Sometimes we're filled with joy, but there's also fear mixed in there. And there's confusion. And so as we gather with with you as your people today, we confess that, Lord, there's all sorts of things going on in our hearts. You know where each one of us is at. You know what we bring with us together, with us into this gathering today. You know about the illnesses that some of us are dealing with. Sick parents, sick children, financial pressures, the loss of jobs, relational tensions. Lord, we don't want to just ignore all that and pretend that everything's okay. We want to bring all that with us and and submit it to you and and cast it at your feet. All of our concerns, all of our worries, and hear you say to us, don't be afraid. So we bring all these concerns to you and we ask that that the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the news that you, Jesus, have risen from the dead will connect with and shed light on and help us to deal with all of those concerns that we're facing in our life today. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a living Savior and that you are concerned with every aspect of our lives. And so we commit all of that to you. And we ask that we would find greater joy and greater, deeper faith as we're confronted with the truth of your resurrection today. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm I'm always happy to gather with the church. I'm always happy to be here with you guys today. Because it is Resurrection Sunday, I'm especially excited because we get in a particular way to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, As I've gotten older, I've started to appreciate holidays a little bit more. I think that when you're very little and you're a kid, holidays are fun. You get a day off from school. You do some special stuff with your family. But then maybe as you get older, those holidays start to lose significance. I feel like now I'm kind of on the other end of that, where holidays are starting to take on new significance for me. Maybe you can relate to this. One of the things I really appreciate about holidays, like Christmas and the whole Advent season, Holy Week and Good Friday and Easter Sunday is that they allow us the opportunity to focus in a particular way on some small, particular aspect of God's redemptive plan. They, they, these holidays allow us to slow down for a bit. Like, for instance, at Christmas time, we slow down and, and we look at Christ and we consider what it means that God took the form of a little baby and was born to an impoverished family. We, we start to, 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 to wrestle a bit more than usual with the reality of the incarnation. At least we have the chance to do that. And Holy Week rolls around and we get to focus, as we have been over the past few weeks, a little more, uh, a little more uh, especially on, on the cross and the significance of Christ's death on our behalf. So we've slowed down over the past four weeks, for instance, to really look at the cross and think about what happened there. And to think about the significance of what Christ said while he hung on the cross. And then today, of course, we get to slow down again and focus exclusively on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us. I think we should, as a church, treasure those opportunities, and as families treasure those opportunities. But here's the downside of all that. The downside of all that, at least one drawback I see, is that sometimes when we slow down to look at one particular aspect of God's redemptive plan, is that as we're looking at it, we can start to see it in isolation from all the other parts of his redemptive story. That is, we can start to look at, for instance, the birth of Christ, and ignore everything that happened before it and everything that happened after it. And our understanding of the birth of Christ, for instance, gets warped if we don't see it in light of the fact that that baby who was born in a manger was born to live a perfect life and to one day die for his people. You see, in order to understand the significance of the birth of Christ, we have to understand the significance of the cross of Christ. And the same thing, of course, goes for the cross. As we focus exclusively on the cross of Christ, as we have over the past four weeks, it's possible for us to lose sight of the fact that that there's a resurrection that was coming. And if we start to see the cross and understand it apart from, to totally detached from the resurrection, then it loses significance for us. We can't quite understand it fully. So ideally, what we want to do is see the big plan of what God is doing in Jesus Christ, his birth his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection on the third day, and his future return. We want to see the big picture. Holidays like, like this give us a chance to slow down and zoom in on one part of that timeline for a little while. But even as we zoom in, let's not forget the big picture. It's kind of like when you're, um, when you're watching a, a movie, a great movie, and there's suspense, there's tension. You're wondering what's going to happen next. And you don't know what's going to happen next. Sometimes you want to jump ahead and see, right? Or maybe you're reading a great book and you're, 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 you're in suspense, there's tension. You want to see it resolved and you, you're, you're tempted to kind of want to jump ahead and, and read the end. Holidays like Good Friday, Easter, give us a chance to slow down and say, wait, let's not jump ahead. Let's slow down and let's look at what's happening right here in God's redemptive story. The story will continue. It will unfold. We'll see more soon, but let's slow down and look at what's happening now. Maybe there's someone in your, in, uh, in your life who likes to tell you the ends of movies. I have a, someone in my family who will remain un- unnamed who, when I'm watching movies with him, he always wants to t- if he's seen it before, he wants to tell me what's happening next. He's like, Dad, you've got to, oh, I just gave it away. He says, you, You're, you, you're, you, you're going to love what happens next. I've got to tell you. I'm like, No, shut up. Don't tell me. I want to experience on my own. I want the tension, I want the suspense. As we've been looking at the cross over the past four weeks, I hope that there has been a sense of tension, a sense of of unrest in our hearts, because we want to know what's going to happen next. Well, praise be to God that Easter has arrived, and now we get to see what happens next. We get to celebrate the fact that our Savior did not speak his final words on the cross, but he spoke again. After he rose from the dead, after saying all those beautiful things that we looked at for the past four weeks, praying for the forgiveness of sinners, extending grace to sinners, extending care to his mother and his disciples, after saying, It is finished, three days later, he rises from the tomb and he says something apparently so simple to his friends, these women. He says, Greetings. Hello. I'm back. Really, what he says, that word greetings is really it means rejoice. It was a typical greeting in that day. People would have used it with each other. Hey, rejoice, hey, rejoice. When Paul tells us to, to rejoice in all things and to always be rejoicing, that's the word he's using. Jesus goes from saying it is finished to now on this Sunday morning, saying, Rejoice. I'm back. As we celebrate the resurrection today, though, I do want us to, to pause and think about what it is exactly that we're celebrating. What does the resurrection mean for us? What exactly are the implications of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And there are so many, and maybe some implications, some, some of the, the significance of the resurrection for you, is, is, it's coming to mind even now as I say that, maybe. I want to share with you just three implications, three aspects of what the resurrection means for us, and it's, it's, it, there's so much more. But these are just three that the Lord has really been pressing on my heart, and I want to share with you as, as, as a church. The first one is this, because Jesus rose from the grave, we are truly forgiven and accepted by God. I have not finished beating this dead horse, if you want to call it that. I want to keep beating this drum. I want us to keep remembering this, that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, by faith in him, through faith in him, we receive forgiveness and full acceptance with God. The resurrection proves that that's the case. The resurrection proves to us that Jesus was not deluded or overstating or using hyperbole when on the cross he said, it is finished. Anyone and everyone who has trusted in Christ is a full recipient of God's grace you are loved, you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are even delighted in by God. And how do we know that? Jesus' resurrection says so. The empty tomb says so. His resurrection means that the price for our sin was fully paid. Because if it were not fully paid, if there was still an outstanding balance on our account, he would still be dead. He would still be in the grave. The resurrection confirms that it was all accepted by the Father. The resurrection proves to us that the wrath of God and his judgment was exhausted on Christ. And how do we know this? What does the Bible tell us is the wages of sin? Does anyone know this? The wages of sin, it's death. At the cross, Jesus Christ defeated death, destroyed it. He overcame the curse of death. That's why we can look at the empty tomb and say, it really is finished. Romans 5.12, I love the way it puts it there. Paul says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned sin came into the world through the through 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 the the through one man through Adam and his sin but it continued we've all sinned we are all guilty of it and because of sin we all need to wrestle with the reality of death death exists because sin exists and yet look what Paul goes on to say, just a few verses later, in verses 18 and 19 of that same chapter, he says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that is, Adam's trespass, his failure led to condemnation, so one great act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. Adam's sin brought death, Jesus' perfect life and sacrifice brought justification it brought a reconciled new relationship with God it brought an end to the guilt of sin for as by he says in verse 19 the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous if your faith is in Jesus Christ you can know this you have been made righteous God views you as righteous why how do we know that The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us so. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are you ever driven to doubt that God loves you? Are you ever driven to to wonder, does he really accept me fully? Or, or, Or deep down in our relationship, is there something that's still separating us? Something that he still harbors against me, something that I still need to do to really get him on my side and to get into his good graces. The empty tomb, the resurrected Christ says to you, No, it is finished, it is done. You are fully accepted. And the fact that he is no longer on the cross and he is no longer in the grave proves that to you. Are you ever driven to find acceptance from other people? as if that's what you really need. Like that's what will really make you happy. Maybe there are relationships in your life that are, that are not what they should be and you just can't live with that. You're like, I need this person to accept me. I need this person to forgive me. I need this person to love me and like me more or else I can't be happy. The empty tomb reminds you that there is a God who accepts and loves you and forgives you in Christ. The acceptance you deep down, long for, is yours in Christ. The resurrection says you can rest. That's what Jesus Christ did, you know. He's on the cross. He says, it is finished. On the third day, he rises from the dead. And the scriptures tell us that he rose, he he ascended to the side of his father. To do what? To take his session. That means to sit down. That means to rest. Empty tomb tells us that we can rest too. But that's, that's not the only thing that the tomb tells us. Here's another implication of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we serve a living Lord. We serve a living Lord. In the account that Mel read for us, we see that these women come face to face with the risen God, and, and what do they do? He says, greetings, they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. They saw that he is not just a man who rose from the dead, he is the Lord. And so they worship him. And then he says, go and tell what you've seen to my disciples. And tell them that I'll meet them in Galilee. And what do they do? They obey him. They worship him, and then they obey him. That's the way you treat a Lord. That's the way we, treat, we must treat this Lord. We worship him. We obey him. The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead means that he has authority. Authority to tell us how to live. Authority to tell us what to do in every single area of life. In fact, if we keep reading in Matthew 28, it, with that section following the, 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 the part that Mel read for us. In Matthew 28, verse 16, we see these words. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee. They obeyed Jesus, right? That's why they were in Galilee. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So what does it mean that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? It means that he is a living Lord. And that means that he still has authority over everything, and over us. He says so here in verse 17 of Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth given to me. It's all mine. And that means that he has authority to speak into our lives in every single area. There is, in fact, no area of our life that we can say is off, is, uh, is outside of his reach or off limits to him. This means areas of life that others don't get a a chance to speak into. Areas of life that we're not going to allow other people to speak into. Jesus says, I can speak into those areas. In fact, I must. And you must listen to me. Whether it's our finances, whether it's our sex life, or whether it's our personal thought life, Our sexuality. Jesus comes and says, All of that, I have authority over all of that. It's a kind, benevolent, good, and wise authority, but I have authority to tell you how to live in every area. And again, if He is in fact Lord, then we must worship and we must obey Him. But the fact that He's a living Lord doesn't just mean that He has authority over us. The fact that Jesus is a living Lord. Means that he's always with us. He says this in Matthew 28. Look at the very end of verse 20. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus Christ, after he said these words to his disciples, ascended gloriously. But he wasn't gone. In fact, Only a few nights earlier, he had taught his disciples that he would, in fact, depart physically from their presence, but upon his departure, he would still be present with them because he would send his spirit to abide in them and with them. And he actually tells his disciples, and he tells us, it's better for me if I, if better for you, if I go and send the spirit, my spirit, to abide in you and with you. Jesus Christ has kept this promise. He kept it to those disciples, and he's kept it to all of his people. Behold, I am with you always. Because he's a risen Lord, that means that he is always with us teaching. He's always with us listening, patiently protecting. Because he's with us, he's giving us power. Enabling us by the power of his spirit to actually keep following him and to live as he's called us to live. Because he's a risen Lord, it means that he's with us, comforting us in the midst of trials, in the midst of serious loss. Almost unbearable disappointments. He says, I'm with you there. In that, I'm the risen Lord. I haven't left you. All his promises Still abide, and he has authority to fulfill all of them. I mean, he even has authority over death. Is Jesus alive to you? Is Jesus alive to you? Is he your living Lord, the one with whom you have ongoing fellowship? You talk to him. He speaks to you. And he enables you and he protects you and he provides for you and he guides you. Is he alive to you? The empty tomb says he is a living Lord. And to all who will receive him as Lord and acknowledge him as Lord, he will prove that he is very much alive and present. We need to hear that, especially when he doesn't feel like he's alive and present. In times in our lives when it feels like we are pretty much on our own, we need to be reminded of what the empty tomb tells us. He's a living Lord, he's with you. Christianity is not following the teachings of a dead hero, it's not that. Christianity is not following the philosophy of a dead teacher. It's life walked with the living Lord. It's the experience of being loved by him, empowered by him, and guided by him. I want to give you one more implication of the the resurrection of Christ. Because Jesus is a is alive because he rose from the dead, we know that it is finished, that that we are accepted and forgiven and delighted in by God the Father through faith in Christ. That's the first one I gave you. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we know that he's a living Lord who who continues to hold authority and presence in our lives. But thirdly, lastly, because Jesus rose from the grave, he will make all things new. And honestly, I don't know if I'm just getting old, I don't know what it is, but more and more and more, this reality is becoming the thing, the, the truth that I want to build all of my life upon. Jesus has promised to make all things new. Do you know that in the, according to the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a preview of things to come? It's a foreshadow of future events. Because all who have faith in Jesus will eventually gain a resurrected body of their own. And, and will enjoy life, eternal life in a resurrected world. Do you believe that? The Bible makes a big deal about this. Some of us maybe, if you grew up in the church, you grew up with a, uh, a vision of life after death, of heaven, that's kind of weird, kind of ephemeral, and, and, and hard to really grasp. It's, it, some of us grew up thinking, well, there's, yes, heaven is real. God is going to come back. He's going to take us to heaven, and somehow we're going to live spiritual lives. I don't know if we're floating on clouds playing harps, all be dressed in white. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound so exciting to me, honestly. It sounds rather bland, rather pale. What the Bible gives us when it talks to us, the picture that it gives us when it talks about life after death, is very different. It's much more tangible. It's much more real, Much, much more, uh, uh, much more tantalizing to the senses. All who have faith in Jesus will eventually gain a resurrected body, that is a physical body better than the one you have now, and enjoy a resurrected world. Not just another world far, far away but a resurrected world. The Bible refers to it as the new heavens and the new earth. Listen to the way Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For as by a man came death, this is what we were thinking about before, because of Adam's sin, death came into the world. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in its own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Now these words, the truths here are wrapped in mystery. But, but there are some things that come across very plainly to us. One is this, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to us. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a preview of coming events. The way Paul puts it, he says Christ was the first fruits. He's the first one to be born again from the dead. But there will be many, many more. All of his people enjoying life after the grave. Consider that. I think, well, the reason I say that this is becoming more and more of an important truth to me, I just find that as the world seems to fall apart before my eyes, I find that I need to get more and more. Maybe you need to get more and more comfort and more and more hope from this truth. He's going to make all things new. That includes you and that includes all of creation the whole world Romans 8:22 puts it this way for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies You see what paul's saying here Because Jesus died and he rose again, now we eagerly await to also rise again. We eagerly await the redemption, the freeing, the renewing of our bodies. But we aren't the only ones that are supposed to be eagerly awaiting this. Paul says that the earth itself, creation itself is longing for this. Creation is groaning, waiting to be freed from the effects of the curse. You see the new heavens and the new earth that the Bible holds up for us as the hope of all who believe in the resurrected Lord is something it's something tangible. It's it's a real creation but it's better than this one. Our imaginations could go wild imagining what that new heavens and new earth will look like or what our redeemed renewed bodies will look like. We don't really know. Know it's going to be good. And it's not going to be bland. And it's not going to be boring. We know that all will be made right. You know that bus bombings that kill 168 men, women, and children will be a thing of the past. We know that evacuees running from death, running from, in, in, in fear for their lives, running from one place of violence, on their way to some kind of safe haven as just happened yesterday in Syria, will not meet death the way those 168 evacuees faced yesterday. Fleeing from violence to a safe haven and on the way, violence strikes. We know that there will not be Massive ordnance air blasts. Moabs, also known as the mother of all bombs. It was just dropped in Afghanistan just a few days ago. Eleven ton bombs will be a thing of the past. As will all suffering. As will all marginalized people. Not the end of marginalized people. You just won't be marginalized anymore. There will be no more margins. (laughs) An end to cancer. And migraines, everything from pneumonia to Alzheimer's, gone, defeated. What will the new heavens and new earth look like? I don't know, but the closest I can get is to look at the beauty of what God has made around us and the beauty of the people that God has given us and imagine all of that, but without sin and without the curse that's been brought about by sin. That's the closest we can get to knowing what it will look like. And we're meant to place our hope in that. Consider, for instance, here's another way into trying to, to, to wonder and even consider what the resurrected world will look like and what our resurrected bodies will be like. If you want to let your imagination run a little bit, think about this. Think about the, the miracles that Jesus Christ performed as he walked on the earth. All the healing, the feeding, the restoring, the reviving, all the good that he did. Then consider it against this. Here's how one author describes it. He says, Christ's miracles were not the suspension of the natural order, but the restoration of the natural order. Jesus' miracles were a reminder of what once was prior to the fall and a preview of what will eventually be a universal reality once again. A world of peace, a world of justice, without death, without disease, without conflict end quote." Look at what Jesus accomplished in those miracles, those isolated miracles in that small radius of, of space that he traveled around around in Palestine. He fed, he healed. He comforted, he raised people from the dead. Now imagine those isolated miracles, the the, the, the beauty of all of that, the miraculousness of all of that extended to all of creation. So that all is renewed and everyone is fed and everyone is raised from the dead. And everyone is drawn near and made whole. The empty tomb tells us that that's ahead for us. No more conflict. Even that's a little, it's weird for us to even imagine. What the, my son was talking to me about this once, and he said, Dad, there, there's going to be no, no, uh, no conflict in heaven? Or in the new heavens and the new earth? I always tell him, it's the new heavens and the new earth. Dad, he's like, yeah, you know what I mean, in heaven. Is, is, is there going to be no conflict? And I said, yeah, I don't see how there could be conflict. And he said, well, well, what are, what are action movies going to be about then, he says. He's worried that there's not going to be any action movies because you need conflict, right? Every story we know about, every exciting story that we read or watch on the screen, it's all about two sides coming together, bang, 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 in some way. Even romantic comedies, even romances are like that. They're all about conflict and resolution, right? We'll have to, well, there'll be a whole new way to understand what stories mean in a place, in a, in a, in a reality where there is no conflict, where all conflict will have been squashed, killed at the cross. In any case, I'll leave you with simply this Easter is about celebration, there's no doubt, but it's also about longing. It's about longing, church. There, there's tension. There's meant to be tension even now in our hearts because the story is not done yet. Even as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies and we eagerly await the redemption of the world. I'm going to read this passage to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, which gets at this very, very idea. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We we live with a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you've been given this hope. You can eagerly, longingly await to receive this inheritance that has been kept in heaven for you. And you know it's yours because Jesus has risen from the dead. And you, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Time. There is an inheritance for you, God's people, that's being guarded and protected for you. And even as you hope and wait for it, God says you yourself are being guarded and protected in preparation so that you may receive that inheritance in the final day. When the time comes, the empty tomb drives us to place our hope in that. So, what do you make of the resurrection? Maybe, maybe all I've shared today about a, a living Lord who guides you and fills you and, and uses us today, or, or this expectation that the, the, that the world and, and that you will, will in fact one day rise from the dead, that all creation will be made new, maybe it all sounds rather crazy to you. I confess that it sounds absolutely nuts to me. But I love it. And many of us have staked our lives on it. Maybe maybe it doesn't sound so crazy. It it sounds wonderful to you, but it's way too hard to believe. If you doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I would simply encourage you to not let your doubts slip away unanswered. If what I've been saying to you sounds far-fetched, hard to really, really believe and accept, don't let your doubts just become unresolved cynicism. Wrestle with your doubts. Because frankly, if you, if you doubt the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're in pretty good company. Because Jesus' closest friends doubted too. Until they believed. Until they saw that there was no more room for doubt. And they had to accept his resurrection as truth. These women who saw Jesus shared the news with His disciples, in Luke 24, it tells us that the disciples think it's all an idle tale. They're just telling silly stories. Peter and John, they run to see for themselves. And when they see the empty tomb for themselves, and then later Jesus appears to them along with the other disciples, their doubt turns to faith. Thomas himself, the, the most infamous of doubters, came to believe when he saw and he touched the risen Lord with his own hands. See, if you doubt the resurrection, you're in pretty good company. All those folks did. Culturally, at the time in which Jesus lived and died and rose again, resurrection was not... No one was ready to believe in it. Culturally unacceptable idea to believe that a man would rise from the dead physically and live again bodily. It was nonsense to most Greeks thought that it was silly. The, the, the dominating Greek culture at that time, they looked at the resurrection, and they said, that, that, that makes no sense. When you die, if anything, your, your soul is going to be released from your body. This, this body is like a cage. At best, your soul is going to be released. At worst, it just dissipates and becomes nothing. But who wants to start up life again with a new body? Bodies are no good. They're limiting, restrictive, Bad. That's how many Greeks looked at it, the dominating culture. Even the Jewish culture wasn't ready to accept the reality of a resurrection. They believed that one day humanity would be risen from the dead to face judgment from God. That's true, the Bible teaches that. But what they didn't believe is is, is that this one single man, the Messiah, would himself rise from the dead. as As a first fruits of the universal resurrection. To them, the timing was all off. I say all that to say that no one was prepared to believe in the resurrection. In the first century, it wasn't desirable and it wasn't believable. And yet, here's the thing: yet, in the first century, both Greeks and Jews, with age-old beliefs and deeply rooted convictions that, that, that shaped the way they viewed the world, they suddenly changed their minds. Thousands of them changed their minds. Their beliefs changed and they embraced the resurrection of Jesus Christ because they saw him with their own eyes. Because he appeared to the disciples and then as many as 500 people at once and then to many others as well. And he was appearing to people, many of whom were still alive when the gospels were being written. The disciples themselves who were bumbling competing fear-filled ragtag group of people went on to in one sense you could say change the world they were transformed from becoming this from being this infighting anxiety-ridden fearful ragtag gang of people to becoming the faithful messengers of Jesus Who would go on to different parts of the world and all of them to the last one would give up his life and be martyred for his faith in the risen Lord. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. As I stand before you, I believe that. I believe that if the risen, if the Christ was not raised from the dead, then everything I've said to you has just wasted the past half hour of your time. I'm wasting my life. I might as well go home. You can hang out here. You can sing some songs. I might as well go if he didn't rise. Everything I've said is irrelevant. In fact, if he didn't rise, you all should go home. Because Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. If Christ has risen from the dead, then we should not be pitied. We should praise. And we should live with our hopes set on these truths. We have been fully accepted and loved and delighted in by God in Christ. Jesus is a living Lord who continues to walk with us and teach us and speak to us and guide us and protect us. And we have a hope to look ahead to the resurrection of our bodies and life in a resurrected world. I invite you to pray with me, church. Lord, in in just a few moments, um, our our, our beautiful kids are going to come up here and they're going to sing. We look forward to that, Lord. I ask that you would just, even, even just in a small way, give us a little time to, to pause in our hearts, to, to rest for just a moment and, and consider the risen Lord. Consider, on the one hand, the unbelievable nature of this news that he rose from the dead, but on the other hand, to actually believe it, to wrestle with our doubts, But not in vain. I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that's wrestling with doubt in the resurrection and in the truth that Jesus is Lord, I pray that they they would come out on the other end of that with deeper faith. Lord Jesus, if you didn't rise from the dead, then it doesn't matter what you taught or what you said or anything else you did. But because you rose from the dead, everything you said matters. Everything you did matters. And we are yours. We praise you. And we worship you. Amen.